Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. If you're using one of the black Bibles, the paperback ones, that's page 691. If you have a gold Bible, that's 473. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. Please follow along as I read, and it should be on the screen behind me as well. This is Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's such, a, it's such a gift to us. It's such a treasure for us that we get to come week by week and just meditate on what you have said. Your words are so precious to us. They are life to us. They are the food our souls need. What we need more than anything is you. To hear from you, to know you, to behold you, to draw near to you, and so thank you for this time when we can give you our attention, Jesus, and we pray that you would send your spirit to work such that we hear from you, we hear your words, your words that are powerful, your words that change our lives. We want to hear from you, and so come in this time, you speak. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like some of you, I'm not from here originally. I moved here, and before, before my wife and I moved to Cayman, we lived outside of a large city in the States, and so I was in the car a lot. I did a lot of commuting. 
And so one night I was driving home. It was a winter night. I was driving home in the dark because the days are short in Chicago in the winter. And I realized that the car in front of me in traffic was on fire. Now, it wasn't like a big fire. It was just like a little flame under the rear of the car. And I was not sure what the right procedure was. How, how do you handle it when someone else's car is on fire? Did anyone else see that the car was on fire? Should I honk? It's kind of dark. If I honk, will he be able to see me in his rear mirror and, and, and know that I'm trying to tell him that his car is on fire? Like, is there a hand gesture for your car is on fire? Am I overreacting? Is it maybe not a big deal if your car is just a little bit on fire? And while I was still deliberating, another car, another driver started honking, got the guy over. I'm sure they were fine. I was off the hook. But the the point I want to make is that there are areas of our lives in which we are all that guy with our car on fire. We all have areas of our lives where we are in danger and we don't see the danger we're in. And in our passage this morning, Jesus wants to shine a light on one such area. He wants to honk and wave and get our attention It's an area of life where probably too many of us trust ourselves to know when there's a problem. It's the area of money. Jesus says, in a way that is just like him, unambiguous, he's cutting straight to the heart, he says, you cannot serve God and money. And that word translated money, that comes from an Aramaic word, uh, which some old translations keep in, in the verse. It says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a word that, it means more than just wealth, more than just kind of cash. It means your possessions, your earthly goods, all of your wealth together, your stuff. You cannot serve God and stuff. So in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been working through this summer, Jesus is teaching us how to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. When we trust in Jesus, when we trust that he is God's son who came from heaven to die in our place, to rise from the dead, to bring us back to God, when we trust in him, we become citizens of his kingdom. And we're God's people now, and that new identity changes how we live in this world. It changes how we experience suffering. It changes how we handle conflict. It changes how we speak. It changes how we love, and it changes how we relate to stuff. That's why this passage is in your Bible. Jesus wants you to relate rightly to the things of earth as citizens of heaven. He says there's a danger in relating to stuff, relating to money and possessions that's hard to see, and he wants to clearly point it out to us. And this is is what he calls it in verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What does that mean? Literally, he says, do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't make earthly treasures, your treasure. Now, I want you to use your imagination for a moment. I want you to imagine that each person has a metaphorical treasure chest. They have something into which they put the things that are most precious to them. The things that, not just things that they have, but things that they want, their deepest desires, their greatest ambitions. The things that that they feel like they can't live without, things they feel like, if I don't have that or if I don't get that, my life is just worth nothing. That all goes into the treasure chest. And Jesus says, he says, everybody's going to lay up treasure. You're going to lay up treasure on earth or treasure in heaven. Everyone's going to lay up treasure. What you must not do is fill that treasure chest with things that are limited to this earth and this life. A certain job, a certain home, a certain car or boat, a certain lifestyle, the ability to dress in expensive clothing, the ability to travel, an early retirement, 
having a name that people recognize, if your deepest desires, the thing that, that drive your life, if that's just stuff, Jesus says, watch out. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He absolutely forbids it. So we want to look at that a little bit more deeply this morning. We want to see in this passage why we must not live for stuff, why we need not live for stuff, and how we should live instead. So you should have an outline on the back of your bulletin, why we mustn't do it, why we needn't do it, and how to live instead. So first, why we must not live for stuff. It will steal our loyalty from God. So in verses 19 to 24, Jesus gives kind of three pictures of the danger of money, the danger of stuff, what, what will happen if we make that our treasure. You look at verse 19 again. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, if you make stuff your treasure, you will spend yourself on, on things that don't last and that don't matter. He says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the heart in scripture isn't just where your love is. It isn't just kind of where your emotions are. In scripture, your heart is yourself. It's, it's the seat of your thoughts. It's the seat of your desires. It's the seat of your plans and your decisions. Your whole life, your inner life is the heart. Everything that you do in your life comes out of the heart. And he says that whatever your treasure is, your heart will follow. Your treasure will capture your imagination and your desires. You'll daydream about it. You'll make plans to pursue it. Your whole life will revolve around it. You'll spend yourself to possess whatever it is that is your treasure. And if that stuff, if if what you really treasure is just earthly stuff, right, a dream job, or a dream house, or a dream car, or a dream retirement, then you'll be giving yourself, your one precious life, to something that doesn't last and doesn't really matter. Earthly treasures can be lost. That's his point. He says that treasures on earth can be eaten by moth and rust. They can be stolen by thieves. They can just be gone in a moment, right? If, if you live for a certain balance in your retirement account, the market can tank and it can all be gone, Right? If you live for a certain job, you can lose it. You can be downsized. You can, you can be cast out of that job and, and lose your earthly treasure. Earthly treasures don't last, so we must not make them our treasure. How do we know if we, if we have? How do we know if we have given our heart, if our heart has been gripped by earthly treasure? And you can see the way to measure that is where do your thoughts drift? When you can think about anything, what do you think about? Do you think about work and how you can achieve and excel and and get a little bit further ahead? Are you constantly checking the markets to see what's happening with your wealth? I mean, the other way to ask it is, what is the power to really make or wreck your day? You make a big sale and you just, your your mood just goes through the roof or, or you, you fail at something. You, your, your investments tank and it just, it just drives you through the floor. You just, your whole day is just awash because of what happened with something that you own. What's so hard about discerning whether we're laying up treasures on earth is that we're often blind to the power that money has over this. And that's, that's, the, that's the point of what Jesus says in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is, is darkness, how great is the darkness? So here's the picture, okay? What does light make possible? Light makes it possible for you to see, right? You can, 
You can navigate through your house. You can drive your car. If you have light, you can see what's going on and you can make your way through it. But, so Jesus says, that's, that's what, how light works. And he says that the eye is the lamp of the body. That means the, the eye is the only place that light comes in, right? If, if your eye is bad, you could be in the light, right? You could be in a room with the lights on. You could be outside with the sun shining. But if your eye is bad, your whole body's in darkness. You don't get any of that information into your body. You can't walk around. You can't see what's happening. You, you don't understand the world around you, and you can't navigate your way through it. And that all depends on the eye. Is that making sense? If your eye is bad, your whole body's in darkness. Does that make sense? So what he's saying is, with that picture, he's saying, if your heart, if the eye of your heart is focused on God, if it's focused on laying up treasure in heaven, your, your life will have light. You'll see things as they are. You'll be able to live well and wisely. But if the eye of your heart is focused on anything else, in this case, money and stuff, your life will be in darkness. You won't see things as they are. If you make money, possessions, treasures, if you make those things your treasure, it'll blind you spiritually. That's what he's saying. You'll be living for money and you won't even know it. Money blinds us, right? It'll blind us to what we have. You will, you will save way more money than you could ever need and it still won't seem like enough to you. You'll, you, just, you just need a little bit more. It'll blind you to what you spend. So you'll spend money on, on travel or hobbies or cars or homes or beauty treatments that to another person would seem just crazy and to you it'll be, you'll just think, well, that's about right. You just, it'll blind you. You'll have lost perspective. It'll blind you to your motivation. You'll, take, you'll change jobs, you'll take a promotion, and you'll like the work less. It'll take you away from your family more, and the only reason you'll be doing it is for more money, and you won't see it. This is what's so dangerous about money. Most of us have a problem with it, and hardly anyone thinks they do. So you're, you're probably, you're probably I, I'm not reading your thoughts, I'm just guessing, probably most of you are hearing this and saying, well, he's not talking about me. I'm... I'm not greedy. I don't have a problem with money. I, I'm hitting it just right, I think, on savings and giving and spending. This, but there's someone here who really needs to hear this, and for their sake, I'm very happy that we're talking about it. And if you think that, watch out. Because anyone who thinks money has no grip on them is probably blind to it. And that's a massive problem because money can steal our loyalty from God. So look at verse 24. No, excuse me, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, you can have two employers, right? Lots of people do. But you can't have two masters. This is a picture of ownership. Jesus is saying that God and money will both make absolute claims on your life. You will be the slave of one or the slave of the other. And whichever one you choose, the reason you can't serve both is because both of them will make a demand that you sacrifice the other for them. So if you, if you build your life around serving God, he's going to ask you to sacrifice your money, to give away more than you think you have. You, can't, you won't be able to obey what he says about giving to the poor or giving to, the, the, giving to missions and still have the lifestyle that you really want. You won't be able to do it. Likewise, if you build your life around serving money, it will eventually demand you sacrifice your relationship to God. You'll be offered a more lucrative job, which will make it hard for you to participate meaningfully in church. And you'll take it. Or you'll want to buy a house you really can't afford, but you just love it, you want to see your life there, and you buy this house beyond your means, and now you have nothing to give to the church or to anybody. You will, you will eventually have to choose. You can't serve both. 
Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor in London in the 20th century, and when he, he preached on this passage, he told this story. He said, there was a farmer who had this prized cow, and the cow gave birth to two calves, a red calf and a white calf. It was a surprise. They didn't know it was going to happen. They were just overjoyed, and the farmer, just in, this, in his joy, said, I, I know what we're going to do. We, we weren't expecting these two, these two calves. It's a great provision from the Lord. This is what we're going to do. We're going to raise them both together, and one will be dedicated to the Lord. We're going to raise them and then sell them, and we'll keep the proceeds from one, and the proceeds from the other will give to the Lord's work. And his wife said, that's great. Which one, which one is the Lord's calf? And he said, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We'll sort that all out when we sell them. And so one day, he comes into the kitchen, just long face, and his wife asks, well, what's wrong? And he says, I have bad news to give you. The Lord's calf is dead. She said, I thought, I thought we didn't decide which calf was the Lord. She said, no, I definitely decided that the Lord's calf was the white one. The white calf is dead. The Lord's calf is dead. And then Lloyd-Jones comments, he says, and this is so perceptive, he says, it's always the Lord's calf that dies. If we try to serve both God and stuff, eventually stuff will crowd out God. If we look to money for security, we'll never be able to stop saving because we'll never be secure enough. If we look to money for status, we'll never be able to stop spending because someone will always have a nicer car or boat or house or dress. If you look to money to give you security, purpose, value, if you look to money to give you what only God can give, money will master you and you'll begin living for it rather than for God. So remember, Jesus is saying this because he loves us. If we build, he can see what we can't. If we build our lives around stuff, around treasures of this time and this life, it will enslave us, it will blind us, and it will steal our heart's loyalty from him. That's why we must not live for stuff. And not only must we not live for it, he says, but we don't even need to. You don't need to live for stuff. That's what he wants us to see. So why do we not need to live for stuff? Jesus says it's because God will take care of his children. So the second part of this passage is about anxiety. It's about worry. So look at verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So Jesus, remember, he wants, he wants to deliver us. He wants to save us from spending our lives in pursuit of things that don't last and don't matter, being distracted from serving God. And he knows that one way we get distracted, one way we, we kind of become focused on our own life, is that we get preoccupied with making sure that our needs are going to mean that. We, we worry that we won't be provided for. We worry, we're not going to have enough. And Jesus says, I want to set you free from that worry. He comes to us with incredibly practical counsel to help us flee from anxiety. Look at what he says in verse 27. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus says, worry doesn't even accomplish anything. It, you can fret and think and fret and think, and you can have sleepless night after sleepless night, and at the end of it, your life is not going to be one bit longer. It doesn't, worry doesn't accomplish anything. It's not productive. Or look at verse 34. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He says that each day has trouble of its own, right? You can imagine sort of like... A, the picture that's coming to mind, I didn't plan this. This is what's coming to mind. You know those pill organizers that have like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Like each day has its own trouble, right? And if you, if you worry, what, you, what worrying is, it's like, it's like opening them all up at once. You have today's trouble, and then you just take tomorrow's trouble on top of it, and the next day's trouble on top of it. You're just 
piling yourself with trouble. And some of you know what this is like. You worry about whether you're going to be able to keep your job and what's going to happen to your kids and what the doctor's going to find at the checkup and if you'll ever be able to retire. And you just heap trouble upon trouble on yourself that takes you nowhere. And Jesus says, one day's trouble is enough. There's practical counsel, but Jesus has an even more powerful reason not to worry, and it's where he spends most of his time in this passage. He wants us to know that Christians have a heavenly father who cares for them. He says in verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he, he's trying to make us think, right? He's asking, it's, it's, a, it's a question he wants you to answer, right? So what's greater, your life or the food that sustains it? Your life, right? Your life is greater than food. What's greater, your body or the clothing you put on it? You wouldn't trade your body for clothing. You might trade clothing for your body, right? Your, the body is greater than clothing. And he's saying, if God has seen fit to give you life and a body, don't you think he can give you food and clothing to sustain it? He's already given you the greater gift. Why would you worry about the lesser one? He goes on to draw attention to how God cares for the whole creation. Look at verse 26. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Some of you worry constantly because you think that your future depends on your planning, on your saving, on your accounting for every contingency, on your hitting every savings goal. Do you think ching-chings have a strategic plan? Do you think they, they say to one another, well, fellas, we've got to be out in the grass by 7 in the morning so we can get three good hours of gathering before it gets too hot, right? Do they have, like, piles, like, okay, the bugs are going to go here, and the, you know, no, right? The, the birds don't plan. They need food, they look for it, and it's there. Why? God feeds the birds, and they're just birds. He's not their father. He's your father. Won't he take care of you? Or look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I have, I have two small boys, and if you know anything about small boys, you know that they hit a point during the day when they have to go outside or they will explode. And so I spend a fair amount of time out in the garden, and the boys like to pick flowers for their mom. And almost invariably, the flower they pick is actually a weed. But it has a flower. They think it's pretty. And that's how incredibly generous God is. He gives even weeds a flower. Even weeds bloom yellow or white or purple. Jesus is saying almost nothing is as short-lived as grass or flowers or weeds they grow for days or weeks, and then they're cut down. You know, at this time, they were used as fuel for ovens for baking. So that you cut down the grass, you'd throw it in the oven. It would be how you get it hot enough to cook your food. He's saying, you know, this grass grows for a few days, then it's thrown into the fire, and God gives it clothing. He gives it a flower more beautiful than Solomon's royal robes. And, and if he clothes weeds, don't you think he's going to take care of his kids? Don't you think that his children will have what they need? So Jesus, Jesus is not saying, he's not saying you shouldn't be preoccupied with worldly things. He's not only saying that. He's saying you don't even need to. Your Father in heaven loves you. He's going to take care of you. Look at verse 31. He says, 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's saying, of course, pagans worry. They have no Father in heaven. They don't have anybody watching out for them. Nobody is taking care of them. It's all on them. But you have a Father in heaven. It's not on you. You don't have to worry. Now, I want, you, I want to be clear about this. Jesus is not saying, don't work. He's not saying, don't save. The Bible commends diligence in both those areas. He's saying, don't worry. Don't be so focused on earthly things that you cease to spend your life on what really matters. So what is that? What, what really matters? We know how Jesus doesn't want us to live. He doesn't want us to make stuff our treasure. He knows why we, we know why we mustn't do that. It'll steal our loyalty from God. We know why we needn't do that because God takes care of us. So if all that's true, how should we live? That's the last thing we need to see, how we should live serving God and trusting him. So look at verse 33. Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about your material needs, he says. Don't put your focus there. Serve God. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness and trust that God is going to take care of the stuff. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom? Well, first it means to desire that every area of our life be submitted to Jesus as king. Everyone who has trusted Jesus belongs to his kingdom, but all of us have some areas of our lives we're tempted to keep back. Some areas where we just think, well, I I think in this area, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But to seek the kingdom means to submit every area of life to him, our work and our relationships and our parenting and our retirement and our weekends and our stuff. We want him to be the king of all of it. And we want in all those areas to serve him, which I think is why he adds here, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He wants us to to live how God says is right. But seeking the kingdom also means desiring that the kingdom would come more and more. It means praying, as Jesus taught us to pray. We looked at this last week. He told us to pray, your kingdom come. It means telling other people about Jesus, about his life and death and resurrection, telling them that the only way back to God is through faith in Jesus so that they can enter his kingdom too, so the kingdom can come in their lives as it comes in yours. Jesus says, seek this first. Not your career, not marriage, not a house, not a lifestyle, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says the same thing in another way in verse 20. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves Do not break in and steal. So I want you to imagine that you live in a country with an unstable government, okay? Maybe some of you can imagine this vividly because you came from a country with an unstable government. Imagine that you're in that country and you come to know before anyone else knows that the currency of that country is about to collapse. The inflation is going to go through the roof. It's going to be worthless. What would you do? You would, as quickly as possible, convert the assets that you have in that country's currency into a currency that's not going to collapse, a currency whose value will endure like gold or U.S. dollars, something like that. So Jesus is saying here, he's saying, don't invest in a currency that's going to collapse treasures on earth. Convert what you have here into a currency that's going to last forever, treasures in heaven. So how do we do that? The Apostle Paul helps us here. He says something very similar in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, As for the rich in this present age, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, 
to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What's he saying? He's saying the way to have treasure in heaven is to use your earthly treasure to accomplish good works whose effects last forever. Spend what you have here to save up what lasts forever there. So how do you convert earthly treasure to heavenly treasure? You give it away. You don't have to give it all away, but you should be giving away enough that it changes your lifestyle. If, if what you're giving isn't changing how you're living, then it's possible that your lifestyle is actually your treasure, not God and his kingdom. So you should be giving enough that your lifestyle has to change because of it. You should give. There are people in the world who have never heard of Jesus and other people who want to go tell them about Jesus and they just need the funds to go. So give. There are people even here in Cayman who don't have all that they need to eat, who don't have enough to cover their medical bills. There are people in our church who have to decide at times between repairing their car and buying groceries. And and there's an amazing amount of earthly treasure represented in this room, okay? Our, our median income, can I say that, is way beyond the median income of this country. There is a lot of earthly treasure here. It doesn't last, and you can't take it with you, but you can use it to serve people who are going to live forever. You can invest in something that will last. So what is in your treasure chest? What has your heart? Is it a dream for yourself, a dream of a life where you have great stuff? Or is it a dream of using all you have for the cause of the kingdom of God that more and more people would love and submit to his reign? And remember, we can't always see ourselves clearly. So there, it might not be a bad idea. In fact, it would be a good idea if you have someone you trust enough in this church, you could show them your budget and ask them to show, them, show you theirs and say, do you think I'm being generous enough here? Could I be giving more? Is there an area here that I could adjust so that I can, I can give more away, store up more treasure? We can help each other here. Don't live for stuff. Use your stuff to do good as a way of investing in eternity. Now, what will it take for us to be able to live that way? It'll take trust. He calls them here, you of little faith. It'll take faith to believe that, that if we seek the kingdom of God, as Jesus has told us to, that really all the other things we need will be added to us, as Jesus said. So I, I grew up in the American Midwest, um, which is an agricultural area. So I grew up in a small city surrounded by cornfields. And near the place where I grew up, one of these storage areas, a bunch of silos used to store corn, had been converted into a rock climbing gym. And I went to this rock climbing gym um, sometimes in high school. And so if you, if you know about rock climbing, you know that it involves two people always, right? There's a climber who's harnessed in, there's a rope that goes up to the top of the climb, down to the ground, and there's a belayer at the ground who has another harness and is constantly taking the tension, like keeping tension in the rope, taking the slack out of the rope so that if the climber falls, he'll be caught. Now, those silos were 65 feet high, and there was no way you were going to get me 65 feet off the ground holding tiny little handhelds unless I was confident that if I needed it, the rope would catch me. Trust made my courage possible. And it's the same with this. We won't be able to live with sacrificial generosity to save less than we want and give more than we think we can unless we know that as we seek first the kingdom, God is belaying us, that he will make sure that we have 
everything that we need. We need to be able to trust that we're secure with him. So how can we grow in our trust in him to give us all we need? We will grow in our trust in what he will give to us when we remember freshly what he already gave for us. So what did he give for us? Or better, whom did he give for us? He gave his treasure. He gave his only son. He actually gave one treasure in exchange for the other. Do you guys know the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his, what? Treasure. We are God's treasure in heaven. God gave the life of his infinitely precious son in order to forgive our sins and bring us back to him. He's already given his son for us. How can we not trust him to give to us all that we need? Doesn't this free us from fear and worry? Doesn't this free us to seek first the kingdom? The only son of God who hung on a cross for you says, don't make earthly treasure your treasure. Don't live for stuff. Don't waste your one precious life. Spend yourself for God to know him and serve him and to help others know and serve him, then your treasure will be in heaven. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Father, we can't, we can't read this, we can't think about this without being incredibly humbled. You have given us so much. We have seen your generosity, we have seen your provision, and yet we still live in fear that we won't have what we need, that, that if we obey you, if we give generously, if we, if we pour ourselves out, that we're going to go without something. We use the things you've given us for ourselves. And so we ask that you would, in, in whatever area we have not been living for you, where we've been serving money, we ask that you would forgive us for giving our hearts to a rival God. Forgive us for worshiping something you made instead of worshiping you, our maker. And we ask that you would give us such trust in you, just the trust of children, believing that you are our Father in heaven who knows what we need before we ask. Give us such trust in you that we can freely give what you've given to us for your glory and for our eternal gain. Help us. Help us together. Help us to help one another, God. And, and would this be for the good of people in Cayman and for your glory in the world among the nations. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.